Long Beach Sermons, visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. Celebrating our intern, so that was Donna Berkland, and up next is the fearless Sam Yu. Um, and Sam gets to really uh, bring the word or bring the message with uh, with me today. I'm super excited about that. So Sam, tell us a little bit about you and how you came to be around City Church, uh, what you do around here. Just give us a little bit of intro on that, would you? Sure. Hey, everyone. I'm Sam, and um, I also am an intern at City Church. Um, I have a story to tell. Uh, that I'd love to share with you. And I'd like to start out um, by telling you a little bit about how I, what I left and what I found um, when I found City Church. So yeah, just to start at my old church, uh, I was also uh, undergoing the ordination process there as well, which is the formal process of being endorsed as a pastor. And I was doing that because I want and still want to become an army chaplain. Uh, right about November 2019, I met my wife, Kendra, who was on this call and uh, who also at the time was further along in her deconstruction. Uh, we started dating. We met on a dating app called Coffee Meets Bagel. Um, and so just to give you an idea of where she was at and where I was spiritually, uh, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about our first date. Um, so on my dating profile, she had seen that. I attended a seminary called Viola, which is in La Mirada, um, that I was a student there and that also I was in the Army Reserve. For her, that signaled that I might be the most rigid and conservative man she ever sees or meets. So being uh, further along in her deconstruction process, she had to screen me and she had to see uh, and make sure that though I might come from conservative roots or might have uh, some, just maybe there is some rigidness in me. She had to see if there was uh, maybe some space for her and um, openness in me. So two questions she asked on our first date. Uh, one was, hey, um, there's a chance I might be a universalist. I might believe in multiple gods. I might believe in Jesus Christ. I might believe that uh, salvation can be um, received uh, ways other than believing in the Bible and what Jesus Christ uh, did while he was here on earth, maybe in Buddhism, maybe in Islam, um, that, whatever it might be. I might be that. Are, are you okay with that? I have a feeling you might be a, maybe too Christian for me. So that made me, <laughs> I mean, of course, um, you know, considering where I was at, I thought, okay, well, yeah, you've also, uh, you also have said that you're Christian on your profile too. So I'd like to, I'm curious to know how you got to where you got, how you might, how you started to consider that you might be a universalist. Her second question was also heaven and hell. I don't know that I believe in those things. Uh, is that not Christian enough for you? And again, I responded with, um, well, again, I also know that you've uh, claimed to be Christian and I'd love to know how you got there. Uh, a place where you uh, started to question the existence of heaven and hell. So I, uh, uh, lucky to say, I passed her test. And so we started dating. Uh, and shortly after I started, uh, we started dating, I started listening to the Liturgist podcast 
and began my own deconstruction journey, which led me to start questioning the church's beliefs on gay marriage and made it so that I had to sit down with the lead pastor to discuss my ordination, uh, the process of becoming uh, an ordained pastor in light of how I was deconstructing. And um, so I asked in that meeting, I asked the lead pastor that if, that I asked my lead pastor, uh, would my questions uh, about gay marriage be an issue if I brought them up before a board who would be assessing me for my fitness of ministry and I'll never forget it, the verbatim, the response I received was, I'm sorry, Sam, um, but I think that your questions will present an insurmountable hurdle on your path to ordination. Uh, that response made it very clear that I needed to find another community uh, that would be supportive in ways that I needed for uh, my re deconstruction process. And then in February 2019, I found City Church via Yelp and then a, refer a reference from a pastor at my old church. Um, and I'll never forget the first service that Kendra and I attended uh, at Lafayette Elementary School. Remember, we were sitting in the audience. There was a white man on the stage. He was wearing his hat real, real low. The bill was real low. The uh, shade was covering his eyes so we couldn't see his eyes. And he was apologizing to the congregation about possibly having participated in the um, oppression of uh, marginalized groups. And that brought a tear to our eyes. Um, and in that moment, we, um, we knew, we had a strong feeling that this would be our, this could be another home for us. So last year, um, so we're at Study Church now, and last year I started my internship the same time as Donna Birkeland in June and officially started uh, the ordination, ordination process with the uh, Reformed Church in America denomination, which is which City Church is under in October. And here we are today, which is um, my second to last day of my status as intern at City Church. Crazy story. So basically, I think what you're saying is you can say anything you want and we can't really fire you. Is that right? <laughs> I don't know that it's about firing or keeping on. I think that I'm just around because I want to be. Freedom <laughs> of choice. Oh, that is funny. Uh, totally appreciate you, Sam, sharing a little bit of your story. Um, so we're in a sermon series called Lost and Found. And, and so we wanted Sam to share a little bit. Uh, remember Don pre Donna preached, uh, she's preached actually a couple of times now, but uh, we want to make sure Sam had the, the opportunity to preach. And so today was the day that worked out for him, which is great. And he's going to share a little bit about uh, what he's found on this spiritual journey and how he's found that from a kind of modeled around this particular character in the Bible. Um, but I thought we'd start, Sam, maybe you could just introduce us as we just prepare for the, the scripture and the sermon. You know, what are a couple of things that you've lost? You talked about deconstructing, kind of dismantling some of your beliefs. And um, what are some of the things you've lost on your spiritual journey? And that'll help us set up for uh, what we find. Sure. Um, so in addition to having lost my old church community, uh, I lost certainty about my faith. Uh, and what I mean by that is the feeling of being sure about what's right and wrong, what's good and bad, uh, what's fruitful and what's fruitless. And 
to give an illustration, I, I just remember being able to hold the Bible in my hands and think to myself, everything I need to know about life and truth exists in this library of books. Uh, my life's meaning can be found in it, and I'll be able to know uh, and live out my life's purpose if I learn to interpret if I learn to interpret it correctly, and if I'm able to abide in its teachings. Um, fortunately for me, I discovered Melchizedek, uh, one of the characters uh, in the Bible who have helped who has helped me frame some of my losses and some of the things that I found along the way. Um, are that there's actually stuff in the Bible um, that yield openness, um, whereas in you know uh, in contrast to ways that uh, I believe the Bible that maybe felt more narrow, and so we're going to hear about Melchizedek today uh, and learn from his story, and uh, to read that scripture for us now here is Charles Berkman. Genesis 14, 17 through 20. After Abram turned from defeating Kedor Laomer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheveh, that is, the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. People of God, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Charles. Uh, thanks for that intro, Sam. Uh, so Melchizedek. Uh, might, yeah, there are not a lot of kids named Melchizedek these days. Uh, not super common. Uh, but he comes up a few times in the Bible, uh, three times in particular. And when he shows up here in Genesis, it's, it's actually a super interesting, there's some super interesting things around it that Sam's going to get into. But I just want to set the context. There's been a lot of violence in the world. Cain has killed his brother Abel. There's been a catastrophic flood that's just wiped out everything. The Tower of Babel has come and has fallen and people have been dispersed through the world. And you get this sense by the time you, you get to this passage, this place in Genesis, that God is on the move. God is initiating a new beginning, a new tribe, a new kind of people, a new direction. And God chooses this person, Abraham, that Ever since Abraham, for, for 3,000 years, we've called Abraham the father of our faith, right? It's through Abraham, and there's lots and lots of references to Abraham in the New Testament, because there's this promise to Abraham. It comes from Genesis 12, just two chapters before what, what Charles just read, and the promise is this. God says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. Abraham's going to give birth to his son Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, and Jacob to the 12 tribes of Israel. And there's this sense of 
God's destiny is going to be fulfilled through the chosen people. Through this line, this is how God is going to bless the world. And so now when we catch up to chapter 14, already that plan shows a little bit of diversity in how God is going to play it out. The context is this. Abraham's nephew, Lot, has been taken captive. So Abraham grabs his guys. He's got a big old herd of people. It's basically his tribe. He takes 318 of his fighters, and they go out and wage war against this other king. These are sort of city-states. And he rescues his, his nephew. And he's marching back from the battle with all the loot, all the, you know, he stole all this, these cattle and money and stuff from defeating that king. And then he runs into the mysterious Melchizedek. So um, before I highlight some interesting things about Melchizedek, uh, I just want to touch back on uh, the narrowness piece that I uh, mentioned uh, just before Bill started uh, sharing about or just giving the background on this story. So I just, I realized that in hindsight that uh, the certainty that I lost was largely hinged on narrowness. Uh, and what I mean by that is this thinking that we're doomed without the Bible, that the truth exists exclusively, uh, exclusively in it. Um, that if my faith isn't tethered to it, uh, that my faith journey will lead me astray. Um, but fortunate for me, uh, the story of Melchizedek, uh, it represented the Bible to me in a way that let me know that the Bible might not be as narrow as I thought. Like as if it's some decoder ring to figure out everything perfectly. Instead, I think um, what it told me is that it's a story. So here are some things that are uh, interesting about this story of King Melchizedek. Uh, number one, he wasn't Jewish. He was a king of Salem. But the author describes him as priest of God Most High. His name, Melchizedek, means king of righteousness. So King Melchizedek means king of righteousness. And King Melchizedek had a word from God, uh, which came in the form of communion and blessing. So we see in verse 18 through 19, it says, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and then he blessed Abram. And what does Abram do in return? How does he respond to that blessing? He, well, he gives one-tenth of everything he has. Uh, in uh, verse 20, it says uh, that Abram gave uh, King, Melchizedek, King Melchizedek a tenth of everything. So here I saw that through Melchizedek, it looks like God might have been doing something outside of what was expected to give a blessing. And it also appeared to me that God might be speaking in a way also that was unexpected. And again, to circle, uh, just to go back on that narrowness piece, I think that with narrowness, uh, yeah, that narrowness comes attached to this fear. Maybe not for all, but for me it did, uh, to a fear of what 
is outside of how we expect God to speak. If we're afraid of going outside of that narrow view, maybe it might seem uh, like, maybe it seemed like, like maybe uh, like we, we were not open to God's blessing because it doesn't look the way we expect it to. And so to segue from, I just wanna share some things that I found. Uh, so in light of Melchizedek's story, um, just to give it, give the uh, bottom line up front, uh, I, I found freedom and openness in Melchizedek's story. I found freedom to question why this one tribe, why Israel? Why this one group of people, the Israelites? Why this one library of books, the Bible? I also found openness to consider how God speaks and uh, might bless people outside of ways we always thought. Uh, back in November, uh, my friend Michael Asmus, he uh, led a, uh, a discussion group on uh, Native American heritage uh, for Native American Heritage Month group. And uh, there was a passage from an indigenous scientist and professor, her name is Robin Wall Kimmerer, and I found blessing in it. Uh, this is what it says. The story of our relationship to the earth is written more truthfully on the land than on the page. It lasts there. The land remembers what we said and it remembers what we did. Stories are among our most potent tools for restoring the land as well as our relationship to the land. We need to unearth the old stories that live in a place and begin to create new ones. For we are story makers, not just storytellers. All stories are connected, new ones woven from the, uh, the, from the threads of the old. And that was from uh, Robin Wall Kimmerer in her book, Braiding Sweetgrass. So what this passage did for me, how it blessed me, uh, was that it opened me up to the idea that the Bible is a library of stories written by real people. I was blessed to be able to consider that as story makers and storytellers, that the authors of the Bible, what they did was write down their thoughts and their eyewitness accounts of events that made them feel compelled enough to make record of them. Thanks, Sam. Yeah. So, so are you getting this, people? So God has chosen a path for the salvation of the world. It's through Abraham, Abraham's descendants, the chosen people, the people of Israel, right? This is the path. And out here somewhere is this random guy, not of God's people. And he's literally called a priest of the Most High. He's not from God's chosen people. And he comes, and he's the one who shows up, serves bread and wine, like this is what we serve on every Sunday for communion, right? Or Eucharist, whatever you want to call it. He blesses. God's people. This is God using people outside of God's people to bless God's people. And we've seen that like through Sam all year long, right? Through the like the, the Native American Heritage Month and all the different heritage months and all these questions. It's just this beautiful picture of like, this is what God does. It's a little, it's a little strange. And it gets stranger because in Hebrews 7, that's the other main place that Melchizedek shows up. The whole chapter is on Melchizedek, and you should read this chapter. You'll be like, that's bizarre. 
Because it is. It's weird. Melchizedek is weird. And what the Bible does with Melchizedek is just weird. I'm not even going to go into all the weirdness, but what I want to lay out for you is in Hebrews 7, the, the author, who may well be a woman, because there's, there's no authorship associated with the book of Hebrews, um, and so it may well have been a woman, which is why they wouldn't have had a name associated with it. But so the author lays out Melchizedek foreshadows Christ, all right? And the whole chapter is about Melchizedek. And we have everything about Melchizedek. That's what, that's what uh, Charles read to us already. And so this is where it says in, in Hebrews, kind of riffing off that original story. And it says this, another priest like Melchizedek appears. It's talking about Jesus here. One who has become a, a priest, not on the basis of regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. What he's saying is, there was a prescribed way through Abraham, through this flow of how God was supposed to be blessing the nations, through his offspring, Isaac, Jacob, and all the way through Levi, the, the priesthood tribe of Israel. There, was, there were regulations about who could be a priest. Melchizedek was not, he, he didn't conform to the regulations. God spoke, he, Hebrews 7 is pointing out specifically, God spoke outside of the way the Bible said that God was supposed to speak by bringing Melchizedek and that Jesus is the same way. And then it goes on and it says this in Hebrews 7, it, it quotes one of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah from Psalm 110, where it says this, for it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. It's this prophecy that Jesus is going to show up, and he's going to be just like Melchizedek, showing up out of the blue, not the way people expected. And then it says this incredibly uh, disorienting, could be offensive. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to read it, but. Um, for those of us who love the scriptures, and I consider myself one of them, uh, it's, this is an unnerving verse. Right after the setup about Melchizedek coming out of the blue to bless God's people and Jesus being just like that, this is what it says in Hebrews 7, verses 18 and 19. This is what the Bible says about itself. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. Like, are, are you hearing this? This is crazy talk. This is the Bible doing crazy talk. Saying, look, the former scriptures, he's, he's referring to the law and God's plan in the law to speak to God's people. In this instance, it's saying it was, it was weak. It didn't get the job done. And now there's this better hope in Christ. And the goal here is that, is that we would be able to draw near to God. We would have that original flourishing that was, 
that was laid out for us all the way back at the beginning, this vision of the Garden of Eden, of perfection, of connection with each other, with ourselves, with God. That's the vision. And that God continues to show up. That's what Hebrews 7 is all about. God keeps showing up in the world, speaking to us. And literally, like it said in, in Genesis, about Melchizedek blessing Abraham, that's the same theme here in Hebrews 7, that God shows up outside of where we expect, outside of the scriptures, even though I love the scriptures and I think God speaks through the scriptures. The theme for today is God shows up outside of that in ways we don't expect to bless us and to help us experience true human flourishing. I think you're muted, Sam. And I'm sure you're saying awesome stuff, so you better say it again. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, I just was making a comment about, that. well, I said, thanks, Bill. Um, that was really powerful. I saw a comment uh, in the chat. Um, I think it was Kevin who had said, um, man, this is so powerful. And yeah, I just, it resonated with uh, the feeling, the emotion that was in my heart at the moment. So yeah, um, my my adrenaline is pumping right now. And I just, I, I kind of want to let that flow and uh, flow into um, some stories about where I see God blessing people at City Church in ways um, that maybe would not be expected in uh, traditional Christianity. So there's a men's group that I lead with the help of my friends, Micah and VJ. Um, and uh, yeah, we help lead this men's group that meets every other Thursday. Um, and so yeah, I just want to share with you what I've heard um, and how I've seen God bless um, blessings come up in this group. Um, I have a friend who's been uh, seeking wholeness in his relationships and worldview by way of pursuing a more concrete understanding of how humans uh, can contribute to the pursuit of wholeness. Um, I think that in his, um, in the ways that he uh, grew up uh, or the, the ways that he was raised in Christianity. And another way to put it is the brand of Christianity he held to previously. Uh, I think that it was too narrow in its um, uh, either or um, system uh, that it didn't allow for him to have space to question, uh, to question God, uh, to question beliefs, to question his faith. I think another way to put it, and this is what he told me, um, he felt like he was worshiping a God who couldn't be questioned. And the thing that he wanted was to be able to have questions about God, even if there was no guarantee that all of his questions could be answered. That's what he wanted. You know, that's what, that was one way that he was seeking wholeness. Um, secularism, is where uh, is one place that he was able to connect with this ethical code um, accepted by millions of Muslims, Christians, Hindus, and even atheists. Um, and he was in that same space. He was also able to find a space to have questions without infringing on anyone's uh, system of beliefs. 
So I just, yeah, I just want to like explain um, how I was blessed by my friend's exploration of secularism. I could see that he was wrestling with his thoughts on God. I could also see the ways he wanted to distance himself from some of those thoughts. So there's like that conflict there. There's that tension. And all of it's accurate and all of it is there. You know, none of it is bad. None of it is good. At least in my perspective, none of it is wrong. None of it is right. It's just all there. And it's all a part of him and his process. And so my friend confessed to me how integrity and harmony were of high value to him. And so in this process, I could see how making his spiritual integrity known to people, known to the public, how that was coming in odds with him not wanting to step on anyone's toes, ruffle feathers, or disrupt any spiritual peace uh, that anyone had um, who maybe was noticing what uh, David was doing or <laughs> what my friend was doing. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I could, I, I could just, uh, I could see my friend's heart and I could see that he was seeking truth and, um, know, uh, that there was no need for anyone to feel threatened by what he was doing. And, um, that blessing, it came from my connection with him, uh, it came from his connection or his history with the Bible and also from his exploration of secularism. Just uh, another story I wanna share. Uh, I was having friends, uh, I was having coffee with my friends, uh, Yulbins and Micah. Um, we were having a conversation on politics, religion and race. And uh, the goal was to share our true thoughts out loud, trusting that our connection um, to each other could withstand ruptures, any ruptures that came up from uh, disagreements that we had in our views or our perspectives. And uh, so the way I see it in a conversation that was likely to give rise to tension and maybe like arguments, uh, my friend Yulbins confessed that he felt he could show up as the best version of himself. I, and in that statement, in that one statement, I saw human flourishing. And then I've got this one other friend. Uh, I was sharing this, the outline of this sermon with him one day, again, over coffee. He had pointed out to me that he uh, felt that he was at a dead end with his faith. Uh, maybe he felt stuck. And he also, um, in hearing uh, me present the, the, the out, my outline of this uh, sermon, um, he had pointed out uh, that what stood out to him was that I, had figured out uh, that maybe the question that I should be asking, and maybe others too, uh, is how to love rather than who to love. So he points that out to me. And, uh, and then he also tells me, I just, I really appreciate um, how you've hit a dead end, but it, it sounds like you've found a new way forward. So again, I was blessed. I was affirmed by that comment he made. The message I received from what he said was that you're doing good things, Sam. You're, the things that you're talking about might be controversial for some, but they're also a blessing for some as well. And so I just wanna close with this. Um, 
I too am a story maker and a storyteller. I believe that I am. And I'm just really glad uh, that I've been given this opportunity, uh, this privilege of being able to share uh, these stories um, about unexpected ways that have brought human flourishing in me and in my friends. And I hope that uh, the things, uh, the stories that I've shared today inspire some hope for uh, unexpected ways of experiencing human flourishing for you. Thanks. So good.